We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And ever since Darvin Ham's introductory press conference, his statements about the Lakers' running habits have been running through my mind, and to a slightly lesser extent, his comments about uh, the four-out, one-in spacing that he wants to to run. And that's been juxtaposed with, I've been going through a lot of old footage of the Lakers. We've had a couple of anniversaries. We had the 20th anniversary of the three-peat. How crazy is that? It's been 20 years since Shaq and Kobe uh, had their three-peat in 2002. Uh, Last team to do it. Last team to do it. That's right. Uh, in American sports, Tampa Bay Lightning are threatening to do that in hockey, but three-peats are special, man. They don't come around very often. And then the 1987 team, which is often referred to as, I think, the best of the Showtime teams, That's their 35th anniversary is coming up as well. And one thing that's that was really specific to the 87 team, but also the 2020 team, our most recent championship, was they got a lot of free points. They got a lot of cheap points in transition, including in the finals. And there's always that old axiom, D, about how the game slows down in the playoffs. And it does. And everybody is more attentive to details. But there's a range within that. And that those uh that 2020 team we remember well got a lot of their points in transition and watching that 87 team i was just like man they're running off of misses they're running off of free throws like the whole commitment to a style of play is what really stood out to me about darvin ham's comments is like look especially if if russ is going to be on the roster and again this is this is true without him but with him it's it becomes absolutely essential but what i took ham's point to be is like this is you will get opportunities out of this. And he said as much um, if you have the proper running habits. But then that gets into a question, well, why don't you? So anyway, that's just been kind of floating around my mind, D, that idea of of running habits and how much he emphasized that. So talk to me a bit about that idea and how that impacts not just our team, but even really good contending teams. If you look at any offensive efficiency stats and cleaning the glass does this well because they break it up amongst a variety of things, right? Especially half court versus transition. Transition baskets, you're going to score like 1.4, 1.5, 1.6 points per 100 possessions. 
right? And so you want to hunt those chances. Everyone wants to score in transition because it's a damn near guaranteed two points. And when you have a team that is built and set up in a way where they're not very likely to be a super efficient half court team, then optimizing your transition chances becomes way more important, right? And Ham is coming from a team that had Giannis and Giannis is a one-man fast break. And a one-man fast break is what you could have used that term to describe LeBron over the years or Russell Westbrook over the years. But you don't want a one-man fast break, right? What you really want is you want that dominant guy with the ball, but, and if you have more than one dominant guy, that's even better, but you want those guys with the ball and then you want the rest of the team running with them in order to create the types of lanes and opportunities for everyone that are going to generate the types of points that that you want to create. And so that to me, Mike, is is what sort of dinged in my head when I heard Ham talking. When he's talking about the habits of running, I I honestly think that he's talking about a guy not being used to being the lone outlet guy like Russell Westbrook. I, I think that he's talking about spacing the floor correctly and, and running the proper lanes and running with the proper timing and making sure that you're not leaking out. He mentioned he correlated like running habits with defense a lot because yeah. it's like I think that defense is going to be then about like rebounding and defensive floor spacing integrity and what are your rotations and getting stops and then turning that into something. And so I thought he did. There were a lot of hints to me in in the style that he wants to play. He He reverted back to defense a lot where it's just like, oh, look at you. Like you sound like the last head coach to a certain extent, right? But it's not a fluke. You need to get stops and then you need to run. And I think the way that he commented about Russ, especially, and Russ improving his running habits, Pete, for all the talk that you said you've been watching like past Laker film, we should be going back and watching like past Olympic tape to like look at Russell Westbrook because I think that the style of play that Ham is really going to ask of Russ goes back to more of his time as like a high level player on those like Olympic teams that were trying to win, not an all-star environment, but like all-star talent, but with the type of purpose that the Olympics provided. It's those sort of like, hey, we're going to compete on this end in order to get out in transition on the other end. And, And that's where I sort of settled in with what he was discussing. I was looking back at one of the actual quotes, and this kind of ended the press conference with it, right? And, he, and so he said, we can run with pace in our running habits. We can run with space and have a force and a physicality to the way that we play, all predicated on ball and body movement. And you have to preach those principles until you're blue in the face. There are going to be times when we're going to have philosophical disagreements that you may have to get out on the floor and walk through some stuff over and over again. But those are the basic tenets, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing that it it had me thinking a little bit more just about what does Darvin know for the most part, is, as we keep saying, we'll see what happens with Russ. But if he's got LeBron and AD and Russ, these are three players where shooting and sort of half-court execution isn't necessarily their number one thing. 
They've got so many other talents, but they do have unique elite athleticism uh, for their positions. And so having a running style probably makes more sense than having some complicated half court system, right? Where they're all going to be running around X amount of beautiful screens and somebody's going to be cutting in a certain spot, one, one place where, all right, the, we've got these athletes, Pete. So here's the things that we're for sure going to do every game. And then so it doesn't mean we're not going to have some great ATOs and some certain half court sets, but this is not going to be an execution team. And I think we kind of know that anyway. I think that's what they've been to an extent, but it, it's still important probably to preach that a certain way. But running habits is something that you've been talking about, Pete, for a while. So I, I'm curious for you to go deeper on this, especially since you're the one that brought it up. So I've been waiting to hear what you have to say on it. Well, so I'm so glad you brought up his quote about you have to emphasize this until you're blue in the face, right? Because this is not something that is terribly complicated, uh, but it does require a certain amount of mental engagement and physical engagement. And that idea of you know, Russ, for example, he's used to being the guy that gets the rebound or gets that quick outlet, right? And he's the guy who starts that break. Well, one of the points that Ham alluded to is that, well, sometimes you're going to be off the ball. Fill that wing when LeBron has the ball and you're going to get those great opportunities too. And so it's a little bit different. And so like that idea of Russell Westbrook needs to improve in transition. Isn't that kind of counterintuitive, right? Like that's something that he's one of the great all-time players in that respect. But Ham is also absolutely correct in that respect. But I think that this is like 80% a team culture type of thing. And that idea of we're going to do this over and over again. We're going to enforce these principles, which means like if you don't run deep corner or you don't rim run, we're going to call you out on that. We're going to every single time. This is going to be something that's important. That's something from when I coached at much, much lower levels. One of the things I realized is like, oh, we don't have time to get to everything. That was always super interesting to me. I, you know, I, in the summer before uh, my first year, I had all these plans for the offense and the defense and it's going to be our zone offense and our, our, uh, our full court press and all that. You just don't have enough time to get good at everything. And so when you pick that certain, aspect of the game that you're really going to lock in on and focus on, that requires a certain degree of accountability, right? And so with Frank Vogel running his defensive system, fighting over the top of that screen, make, making sure you're at the proper level when you're hedging as that big, the low man rotation that we learned so much about this year, all of those things were if we're going to be good, we're going to be good at this first. This is the primary thing that we're going to be good at. Now, like you said, Dee, this all ties in together. And he talked about those two things in conjunction, the defensive end going into the offensive end. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how a good defense and the ways in which this personnel can leverage those types of opportunities to get out and transition in the first place. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One of the things that you said, Pete, that had me nod in my head was just identity and what are you going to be good at? And identity then filters down and it inspires a bunch of other things about what you want to do in in terms of being great, right? And, and so... I think back to like Pat Riley and those Showtime teams. Well, everyone remembers the Showtime, the Fast Breaks, the Magic Johnson, the everything else. And no one remembers really that like the Lakers were a good defense or they got the stops that they needed or that they had a variety of rim protectors or all of these other like defensive versatility. Like they had a bunch of different things that triggered the fact that they were going to be a transition team. And it's like one of those things to me where Ham is highlighting like, oh, running, like if he highlights running habits, it's just like, okay, great. And it's like, we're, it's like going to a great restaurant and it was like, oh yeah, we're going to a steakhouse. It's like, oh, I'm going to get myself a big steak. It's going to be great. But then right underneath that, you're like, oh, What kind well, of steak look. do you usually get, Darius? I'm a New York guy or, you know, or um, a ribeye guy, medium. I'm not I medium like rare is like I'm down. Anything above medium, though, is like, you yeah. what, know, what's yours, Mike? I imagine you at fancy steakhouses all over the country when you're traveling with the team. Well, es- especially when Michael Thompson is paying, which is uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is, happens <laughs> a lot. Shout out to Michael. Uh, I, I typically like a filet and medium and then sometimes medium plus, but usually medium. And then I like a little, uh, like a little peppercorn, like crust if possible. Sure. But yeah, that's my, that's my nice. typical vibe there. Nice. Yeah. 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 You cook steak at home, Mike? Not really. <laughs> no, I, I look, this is almost embarrassing, but we, we've got a small backyard and there was a grill when we first moved into our house and I'm like, this needs to be where the soccer, a uh, little mini soccer court and basketball Priority. court. Prioritize. Are. Yep. Look, and priorities. So, We're with you, brother. And there's, a, yeah. So like we, yeah, I don't even have, I'm, and I've also resisted because there's a lot of really good restaurants around here. So I just go pick up, man. So um, not a lot of grilling going on at the Trudell household. Uh, so I'm sorry well, to my wife. I know. <laughs> I would say I'm disappointed, but I'm not right. You got to prioritize the kids. I'm a grilling guy. And so, you know, where I'm from. It's like I can see we, you got a nice apron. I mean, we're just out there, man. We're just doing our thing. Anyways, so it's like when you go for the steak, but it's just like, oh, okay, well, you know what? I need some sides too. And a lot of times you can't get by without like, oh, let me get some good grilled asparagus or some cream spinach or something. It's just like, here's the greens 
with this. And so the greens is the defense, Pete. Like we're going to yeah. highlight, we're going to highlight the thing that everyone loves. We're going to highlight the stake, right? That, those are the fast breaks. That's the getting out in transition. That's the dunks. It's like kind of what we talked about last off season. Like, oh, this team is going to be so fun. <laughs> Hey, remember, look, I'm trying to recall the some of that stuff because I don't want us to get caught up in the same mindset of like, and I think that a year removed from that and learning through the experience of what we had this past season is super important. Well, it was because they weren't fun in large part because they did not play defense. That's right. Right. Like, that, and they didn't, and for all of these reasons that we've litigated over the past year, but you can't get to that point where you're out because that's, I want to do a pot on this at some point, but like what was good about last season, about this past season, I think is important to remember and carry forward as, as little as it was. And this team had a really electric side to it. They would go on massive runs. Even now, some of them were when you're down 25, right? And those can be a little bit fake. But when the team was at its best, it had this this lightning ability, you know, this ability to go on those lightning runs. And so catalyzing that as often as possible is important, but you can't do that without defending. Yes. And so it's why Ham, right after the highlighting of running and what type of you know and he's talking about four out one in spacing and and the type of offense they're going to be but but it all starts on the defensive end it all starts on the defensive end and and so when you were talking earlier and I was nodding my head it's because yeah let's highlight the thing we want to be in terms of offensive stuff but he's purposefully choosing the parts of the offense that can only happen if you're a good defensive team, <laughs> yeah, it's not like, oh, well, we're going to be seven seconds or less. We're going to prioritize pushing the ball regardless of make or miss. Right. It's just like, yeah, well, when you start to talk about make or miss, well, then make starts to like that. That's in the vernacular there. It's just like, no, no, no. We don't want to talk about the other team with makes. We want to talk about us getting stops and then us turning those in to to transition chances. And, and so. And that idea that you mentioned, too, about like we only have so much time, that's how you build your culture, though, is like you you then highlight the thing that is going to cascade and domino into the rest of the thing that you actually want to be as a team. Right. And so if you're going to be a running team, Mike, and you want to be a tough team, well, then you better play defense. And those things are all going to be if you're doing the Venn diagram, that's the stuff that lives right in the middle there and i think ham is smart at posing things the way that he is but it's also smart because this is really the only way with the roster that he has and 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 so i think that part of this is a sell job part of it is understanding what the limitations of some of the players are and part of that is how those limitations also trigger the strengths of the group that we think we're going to have. And and, and so we're going to play to those guys' strengths. And that's really what you want from from a coach. And if we had any criticisms of Frank last season, it was like, well, this isn't playing to these guys' strengths, or at least the strengths of the team. And, And so of who the better players on the roster are. And so I thought the connections that Ham was making between running 
and defense and his partnership with Rob in terms of building out the personnel. Those were the three sort of pillars of the discussion that he was promoting as as the new head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. I just think more. I think a lot about the roster here and what kind of guys that you can bring in, because it's a little bit tricky for me to talk about being this physical defensive running team that has all of this energy. And then, you know, in the next breath, talk about LeBron James entering year 20 and the guy that's going to be on the court still hopefully more than anybody else, except for Anthony Davis. And there's just, there's a little, like, of course, LeBron throughout the course of his career has been able to play like that, you know, more than many, but Darwin's also wanting to talk about how important maintenance is in this uh, 20th season and the wear and tear. And, and so not that those things have to be in conflict. It's just that they had so many players last year that couldn't play that type of a style that LeBron had to, and to continue to reiterate a conversation that we've had for months, there just have to be a lot of other guys to be able to do a lot of that so that it's not just LeBron that has to lead the, uh, the stuff that, you know, like your, your 25 year old wing ideally should be leading. Oh man, a hundred percent. And I, and that is something that bridging that let's try to figure that out, that idea of, of bridging that. And I agree it's in the su- supporting roster. Uh, Darius just brought up in the chat, like ham alluded back to Austin Reeves and Stanley Johnson, a lot as guys that can be supporting players in this type of style. And that was ultimately one of the, the failings of trying to be that type of team last year. Cause it's not like Frank Vogel was like, Guys, we're not going to be physical and play defense and then get out on the run. Like we literally just won a championship with our last coach of those same using those same pillars that you were talking about. And so where I think a lot, a lot of the failings of last season's team was in that supporting personnel. I think it's very important that if Russ is back in our closing lineup, at least he's the worst defender on the floor that everybody else can help facilitate that style of play. But like you said, Mike, the, those guys, Last year didn't really facilitate that style, primarily because they were not defenders. They were not guys that are going to slide over and cut off a ball handler or dig down and get a strip. Because like, how do you get out into transition? It's by live ball turnovers are a central part of that. And that's something that even uh, Russ, Russ is an interesting defender in that he does have some positive attributes. I think he's one of the better like switchers or, or onto like bigger players. He's not going to, you're not going to plow through Russell Westbrook, right? And he can jump a passing lane. He can help facilitate facilitate some live ball turnovers but much like one of those ball hawk type free safeties in football the guy who goes for every interception is going to get burned deep right and then he's got some issues with uh, inattentiveness and whatnot and that's why I want him to be you know the worst defender on the floor in any uh, closing five uh, but that requires really a focus this offseason on a certain type of personnel so let's take a break when we come back I want to talk about that personnel and what we need them to do in this context and then get into some of that uh, four out one in talk Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The idea that Russ needs to be the worst defender on the floor, I think that that needs to be by a pretty big margin as well. So I'm all for, like, look, I like that Ham already started coaching Russ. He started coaching him right there during the introductory press Mm -hmm. conference. Russ was there. He spoke to how much he values Russ. He spoke to what he believes he still has left as, as a player. And then he spoke to the idea of sacrifice. And he spoke to the idea of defense, right? And so, look, I'm all for him trying to get Russ already to think about defense first as as a focus and sacrificing some of his on-ball opportunities. Like, sacrifice is a broad word, but I think we can all sort of think of things that we believe Russ could sacrifice as a player in order to help the team. That said, it's just like, if you can't expect that to happen, like you can't plan for that to be the case. And and so like I just don't think you can you can say like, oh, well, we're gonna be good on defense because Russell Westbrook is gonna be better. Right, right. Let me just piggyback on that a little bit. And this is something I I thought we almost could have gotten into last podcast. Russ is on the last year of his deal this year, right? Like this is not it's not even the same as last year where we weren't quite sure how things were going to work out, especially at the beginning of the season. But I don't think that the the plan, whether it's on offense or defense or just philosophy, should be based on what Russ does, um, including like, and Pete, this is something that you talked about. Well, if you have Russ on your team, you have to play a certain way. I don't think that's what the Lakers should be doing. Um, I think that they should play how they what is best for LeBron and AD. And however guys fit in around that, if they do or they don't, like that's up to them how much they're going to play. And in that, not just for next year, but just for sort of Darvin Ham's now, his philosophies, his core ideals, like this is what we're going to do. If you don't do this well, you're not going to play as much. And and that's that's just uh, I think that extends to this conversation as well. But it's uh, that's when Darius just said that about that combo with Russ. It made me think of that as a as a larger idea. I, I think when you do that and I understand the argument, right, that like the idea of building around by far your third best player like he's not really in that same class as the the top two is not something that ideally that you want to do but i think that by not calibrating toward him you're cutting off your nose to spite your face i think we see a repeat a lot of what happened last year as a result of that because if you like there his game is so defined in things that he does well and things that he does poorly and that you pretty much know what you're going to get from Russell Westbrook in that respect, right? And so if you're devaluing, if you're playing toward the things that he's not good at, you've got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and a bunch of guys between vet minimum and mid-level exception type of 
caliber, right? If you can really emphasize the things that Russ is good at, which again, really narrows the scope of your team. And I understand, like to me, that's the best argument for like why you don't trade for a guy like that in the first place is that you've got such wonderful versatility with LeBron and AD. You can be any type of team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on it. And when you trade for Russ, you really lock yourself into something if you want to get the best out of them. But that's my like I, I would rather not be in the situ- that situation. Totally agree with that. But if you don't calibrate toward Russ, I, I think you see a repeat of last year where you play into what he does worst. And then the supporting cast can't quite get there to support a LeBron and AD in the ways that need to carry them. And LeBron year 20 AD with his health issues. Like I just think it causes it causes a cascading effect if you don't calibrate toward him. So I actually don't think you guys are too far apart in what you guys are saying. I hear what you're saying, Pete, within the context of like, this is where, yeah, my Swiss, you see the Swiss flag? Like if this was on YouTube right now, there would be like like a big Swiss flag that, that just sort of popped up as the background here. But some of the things that you're doing in order to, to help Russ, those are the same things you would do to help LeBron and AD, Mike, like playing with pace, playing with spacing, generating opportunities in transition, trying to optimize the athleticism on both sides of the ball. Those are all things that I think are big picture ideas that promote Russ in the same way that they would promote LeBron and AD. Where I'm with Mike is that Russ on the last year of his contract. If there's a guy who's needs to basically like get in line or like we don't actually care what the future is with you as a specific player. He's the one out of all of the players. And so with Mike, and I don't want to put words in, in Mike's mouth, but this is how I interpreted what he's saying is that, look, these are things we're asking you to do. If you don't do those things, you're going to play less. And we're going to play a player who is going to do those things because the things that we're asking you to do are gauge towards the success of you as an individual player, I think, but ultimately towards the success of the team. And if you as a player are disassociating those those things where you're like, well, I'm going to play this way because that's the way that I know. And that's what I think is going to work for me. And I think that's going to help the team. But if that flies counter to what is going to help LeBron and AD, well, then you're not helping the team. Because those dudes are better than you. And, and, and so that's kind of where I see what Mike was saying. It's not so much like de-emphasizing Russ or a style of play, because I think the style of play is going to be baked in to a certain extent. They're going to need spacing. They're going to need defense. They're going to need size. They're going to need all of these things to be a better basketball team. And those things are going to help Russ in the same way that, that they help LeBron and AD. But Russ needs to help them. He needs to help them do those things too. And if he's going to be the guy that's just like, well, I'm the third star. And I'm not trying to put words in Russ's mouth. I'm just saying Russ can't be the impediment to this. And it's why I appreciated the perspective that Ham was taking in, in that this is what I need from you. And he's telling him already, this is what I need from you. And I don't think he has enough leverage in the situation to say, well, I'm not going to do that stuff. That's yeah. just kind of where I'm at with that. And that... I think Ham's going to coach all these guys hard, and, and that's just sort of how I see it. But but maybe we'll see how that flies over. But I think that Ham might just have the personality to bridge that gap a little bit more. But we'll see. That's probably an optimistic take too. So yeah, I do agree with that. And 
I think that last year, barring the start of the season, right, where there was some sort of a combo between starting DeAndre Jordan and trying to keep some of the principles that the Lakers had had success with the previous years, but they basically sold out to playing Russ Ball early last season. Like they, and that's how they played personnel wise for a lot of the season. They ran, they played small, they didn't play a center, they gave I them the basketball. Disagree. They, that, that's not okay, what I'm, well, yeah. that's what I saw, and that, that's what the coaches saw, and that that's how that's how they played. It didn't work. And I don't know why we're concerning ourselves in the least at trying to do something like that again this season. Uh, I think that it's much more of a Dwight Howard situation where if you don't, if you're if you keep wanting to have post ups like on all these other teams and be like, no, that's not going to work. You have to just completely uh, in your mind go to playing a role um, into what's in, into what's going to happen to the team. Not that it's got to be suited to you, and like you, you are not the guy on this team. And you got to play, you got to support the guys that are. And if not, then you should play less. And, and that's, you know, so that's where I see it. So this is, honestly, this is where I think a lot of the the disconnect comes in, in that like, there's this desire for Russ to like humble himself and understand that you are a role player that's here to support LeBron and AD, but that you are a role player. I am accepting of the fact when you trade for him that he's not going to see himself that way. And so starting from that point, at the very least, is something that is something that if you don't account for, there's going to be there's going to be difficulties. If we don't have and and so if if we play toward the things that Russ is worst at. I feel like LeBron and AD are going to feel like they're surrounded by vet minimums, that they don't have a good enough supporting cast. LeBron's a free agent next summer. If this isn't a good year or that we don't, if this is a repeat of last season, is he back the following season? That's got to be something that's really high up on our radar, right? Having a good season this season with the roster that we have now, this upcoming year is really important. I would love for that to end in an NBA championship. But there are other ways for that to be at least rowing in the right direction. Russ's money comes off of the books. We've got something around them. Say uh, Austin and Stanley have become legitimate rotation players for a good team. There's all sorts of ways that we can make progress this year that build toward another season. I'm saying we are playing a very dangerous game. We did not play toward Russ Ball last season. We can The, the argument we can have about that, that Mike, is probably a, about an hour long, so I won't get too into the details. But we certainly did last year. And I, I'm I'm worried, D, that if we have that same, like, oh, no, no, we are going to start DeAndre Jordan for 20 games. No, we're not going to switch everything in these groups that can. We're going to, you know what I'm saying? That well, the, the path that leads us down is dangerous. No, this already goes back to one of the other things that Ham said. And it's something that you teased before this segment in that he already talked about playing a four out one in system, right? And look, Russ can be the guy who's in. At yep. times, right? Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, just like LeBron or AD could be the guy that's in. But when I think of four out, one in systems, what I really hear is we want a very specific style of spacing on the court, and we want to execute that style of spacing yes. all of the time. Because it's not like we weren't running four out, one in spacing or five out spacing, no. you know, last year. Like, But it's the enforcement of the principles within that. How important is it to you that when you drive and kick, you don't stand there, you ro- rotate and relocate to the weak side corner? 
Yes. Right? And Austin Reeves did that well. Yep. I thought Malik Monk was doing that well towards the end of the season. I also thought that when the Lakers started to incorporate some of their new spacing tendencies in the last, I want to say, 20% of the season, even playing with multiple non-shooters on the floor, they were better. They were better because they were adhering to their principles in a much more discipline and understanding of how and why this is going to be effective. And they melded all of that. And they were, instead of spacing the guy to the opposite dunker spot, they were putting him at the opposite elbow. And it was creating different screening angles for guys. And it was allowing driving lanes in different directions. And there were there was a lot of, I thought, sympathy towards the idea of what we need, how these groups can be effective even with the limited sort of personnel that's that's on the team, right? right? And so in building towards next year's roster, I agree with what Mike said earlier that like it really is so much like so much of this is roster based, right? But the roster based stuff is going to be, okay, well, what is your floor and what is your ceiling and how good are the players that are executing the thing? But Ham is saying without knowing who the hell is going to be on the team at all, he's like, we want, we're going to play a four out one in system offensively, and we are going to have good running habits. And I think what he's saying, at least in terms of the half court stuff is, yeah, sure. All of you guys like to operate close to the basket. I get it, but we're not going to have a guy spaced to the opposite dunker spot while one guy posts up like that dude's going to be spaced to the opposite corner. Yes. And yes. it doesn't even matter if that dude's a three point shooter or not. Like he he going to be there so yes. that you know where your reads are. You know where your automatics are. You know where all of this stuff yes. is because and he's going to preach when the blue in the face stuff is being yes. said. That's it right there. Like, yep. He's going to be stopping practice, Mike. He's going to be saying, uh, uh, he's going to be blowing the whistle. Like, no, no, don't creep in there. You're not creeping. Yep. You're staying out there or whatever the principles are that he's going to reinforce. But it's the, the shell and the base of things is going to look a very specific way. And that's going to help Russ. What Russ is going to need to understand, too, is like, OK, well. I need to play my ass off. In all of these situations, even if I don't see it suiting me on that given possession. And that's where I'm not sure if that's going to always happen. Yeah, but I'm skeptical on that. Me as well. But that's where, though, that the thing that Mike was saying does ring true to me is like, look, we need you to cut with purpose off of the ball. We need you spacing to here. We need you setting these types of screens. We need you doing this stuff because in all of these other situations, you will be thriving, too. I was cautious in looking forward last season that any of that was going to happen, right? I am now skeptical that any of that is actually going to happen, but I believe that's the approach that Darvin Ham is going to take because I believe that when he's focusing on the things that he's focusing on, he sees those things as being beneficial to his three best players. And I'm pretty sure two of his three best players are going to see that instantly. Whether the third one does as well, we'll see, right? But that's why he was the one who he mentioned first and foremost. And then the next one was Anthony Davis. And then the third one was LeBron. Because look, LeBron is going to be able to do anything. He's LeBron James. But I thought Ham was very targeted with a lot of his comments. And, and so I'm I'm interested to see how that comes to fruition or not. 
one last point on the spacing principles and just from a practical you know coaching basketball sense is a four out offense has a two guard front that's one of the first decisions you make as a coach is am i going to have a one one guard front one guy in the middle of the court usually up top or am i going to have a two guard front and that and so that decision creates double gaps which is something that is really important for dribble penetrators with just having space to drive to the basket. That's something it's really remarkable to me that we were 23rd in offense last year with like, I I know why we were, I I get why we were bad uh, defensively. We didn't, didn't have the personnel, but offensively we should have been a better team. And a big part of why was because there were too many bodies in the paint. Now, some of that is because we played lineups with multiple bad shooters, but some of that too is, is players like how often is AD lingering 18 feet around the basket without the ball in his hands? Right. That's something that just that right there, if you're at the elbow, but you're not involved in the action, you're not triggering some sort of play. You've cut down like three different driving lanes. You've shut down really half of the floor, which is the exact opposite thing you want to do when you've got ball handlers and dribble creators, the caliber of LeBron and even Russ. Right. And so that idea of going four out and having that big kind of uh, rotating and and. and either filling one of the dunker spots or beyond the three-point line and enforcing those principles. We had so much, so many players just kind of lingering in spots last season that 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 stopping practice, blowing that whistle D and being like, no, we're not like we're we're relocating, Mike. We're going to do this. That's super important uh that to enforce that. Like, and we can do that. We are capable of like pass the ball, relocate weak side corner, you know? Yeah. And I want to I want to try for a second to just look at this because I don't think I have as often from a Westbrook perspective. So if so we're talking about spacing and wanting somebody to change sort of the way that they play to fit within a certain style. Well, when you've got LeBron and AD out there with you uh, in your rust and take even if you want to take the center out of it, which we, we've agreed, we think there's going to be a center. Ideally, it's a stretch five. But mm-hmm. so the defense, how is the defense going to play against LeBron and AD? They're going to pack the paint, period. Right. They're going to be in their pack. So I there aren't a lot of spaces, especially in the half court, for Russ to do what he is best at. So like I and I that's part of it that I'm trying to that I tried to understand last year. But to me, it becomes more of an issue of this is where why Darvin Ham got some questions about coming off the bench or at least staggering some more of these minutes. Because if you like Austin Reeves might be a better fit just in terms of basketball, like half court, uh, spacing some defense, right? Uh, even as a starting point guard. But then if you can Russ come in with a, with a shooting unit around him with a actual spaced out unit. And can you maximize those minutes some? Mm-hmm. Even if you start, if you, if you want to try to start some of the games with him, can you pull him out at the, like the three, four minute mark after right. just being big? Like if, so if I'm trying to maximize Russ, I, I, I get that part of it. I'm just more speaking on a larger picture. Like, the, here's how the Lakers are going to play. Here's who we think is going to be here for the next several years. It just, your the whole system can't revolve around one guy that has a ton of pronounced weaknesses and some strengths. Uh, it's, I think that it's, they tried to find different ways to fit him in last year other than bringing him off the bench. A lot of different ways, a lot of different game plans, a lot of different personnel groupings. Uh, and, and I just, I know that because the coaches were constantly talking about it throughout the mm-hmm. season, but, to get back to what's now and put that in the past, I'm, I just don't know how you can have an optimal type of an offense specifically or a defense when it's Russ playing a lot with LeBron and AD. To be continued 
on that front. Uh, I think with last season, a big part of that was we didn't have good players. It's very it's essential that we get more good players on this year's team. But that on on the court doesn't entirely have to do with with Russell Westbrook. I want to get more into the roster soon. Um, and I think we've been leading toward a certain point and maybe we'll get to there tomorrow. But uh, we'll be back a lot to d- discuss on this topic. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound of Lonnie. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com